0: We're continuing our verse-by-verse expositional study of the book of Ephesians. And if you've ever read the six chapters of the book of Ephesians, you know how deep it is. You know how rich that it is. And it's very difficult in a 30-minute sermon to try to cover everything that you would want to cover. I'm going to do the very best that I can through the leadership of the Holy Spirit to do that today. And we're going to talk about according to the riches of His glory there's no way that you can put a price tag on those riches there's no way that you and I can really understand the riches of his glory but the Apostle Paul tries to give us a little bit of a glimpse to do that you're gonna see the phrase for this reason in just a moment it's actually the third time that we've seen it in Scripture so far in the book of Ephesians It started out in chapter 1 verse 15 for this reason last week in chapter 3 verse 1 for this reason and then once again in verse 14 we see for this reason I bow my knees before the Father so when I looked at Ephesians 3 and verse 14 this past week in my study time I tried to figure out based upon the context what reason if you were here last week or you watched us online last week let me give you a little glimpse, look at verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory it's very easy in the middle of a pandemic to lose heart sometimes marriages suffer parent-child relationships suffer sometimes it causes us to lose our job or to be furloughed for a period of time and we lose heart financially. All of us have been touched the last six months. When March 15th rolled around, and then the next week when Pastor David passed away, and then everything that's happened since that time, we've been waiting for that two weeks to flatten the curve for six months. It's easy to lose heart. And to be as transparent with you as possible, but not give you too much information, I've lost heart a few times the last six months. I've been discouraged. I've had some dark days. We as a pastoral staff have tried to prop each other up and encourage one another in the Lord because I believe Kenan, when he was giving the the welcome a few moments ago, he is really pumped about tonight because it's been six months since he's got to meet with all of his students. He comes right off of Disciple Now and then the pandemic hits and we're asked not to have services Uh, In our local churches, I, I know that Ginger and Andy and Josh have been so excited to crank up with Kids Church today. They've been so excited to gather all of those children back together from kindergarten through the fourth grade. You see, when you can't do what you normally do, it's very easy to lose heart. So today, hopefully, prayerfully, we'll walk out of here going, man, I'm glad I came to God's house today. I'm so excited that I got to be around my brothers and my sisters in Christ because if you don't have that edification, if you don't have those people loving on you and and touching you uh, through prayer, it's very, very easy to lose heart. So that is the reason why Paul is bowing on his knees before the Father. So what does Paul do? Throughout Scripture, we see example after example of individuals who are willing to fall on their knees before God. Luke chapter 22, verse 41. And Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. Acts chapter 9, verse 40. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Then in Acts 20 and 36, and when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Now, I don't think that there's anything wrong with praying standing up or praying laying down, but we see an instance here where where Paul is instructing the church at Ephesus that kneeling will discard your pride. Maybe we find ourselves six months into this pandemic with some pride issues. Maybe because we've done so well and everybody around us has done so poorly, we, we find ourselves sort of swelling up saying, you know what, I, I, I had not had any limitations. I had not had anything go wrong in my life. And sometimes, though, pride will creep in. But you might want to try the posture of kneeling because if Jesus, Peter, and Paul are willing to kneel and pray, maybe we should be willing to do as well. When I was studying... For the message, and I was sort of looking at the posture of prayer, I just sort of slipped out of my chair in my study at our house over in Hazel Green, and I just got on my knees, and it felt good. It it had been a little while since I would sort of changed my posture of prayer. Usually we stand and and we pray standing up. Uh, Kenan asked us to do that at the beginning of the service. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, sometimes we pray before we go to sleep at night and we're already laying in the bed. We, we don't necessarily get out of the bed and put our, our elbows up on the bedside and do it that way. But but I'm telling you, there, there's something about getting broken and humble before God when it comes to prayer. This last week on my Twitter feed, I, I follow a guy by the name of Lecrae. Uh, he, he's a Christian uh, musician. And, and he wrote this, Prayer is your superpower. And so the next time you feel weak, the next time you feel you can't take another step, just remember, prayer is your superpower. Many of us in this room have teenagers at home, and of course, Zeke uh, is our teenager, and and Zeke, like most teenage boys, they've gotten into Iron Man, they've gotten into Spider-Man, or or Superman, or Batman, whatever it may be. Every one of these has a superpower. Superpower. But for those of us who are in Christ, all we have to do is access the creator of the universe through prayer. That is our superpower. So the next time that you feel like you're insignificant and you don't matter, just remember that as a follower of Jesus, I get to talk to the creator of everything. I I get to speak to the one who spoke it all into existence with one breath. You and I have that power inside of us through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So that begs the question, what is prayer? We're teaching Danny how to pray, and we usually let her pray over the meal. And it can get rather lengthy at times when she decides to do her own discourse. We like her having her you know, a particular prayer that she prays so that we'll know where amen is. But sometimes she prays for everything and everybody, and it's the sweetest thing. But see, as we get a little bit older, we get a little bit more mature in our prayer life, so we ask the question, what is prayer? Well, first of all, prayer is a relationship. It's a relationship. What are you talking about, Joel? Well, we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ the Son. So our relationship with the Creator of the universe is activated through prayer. The prayer of repentance starts everything. And then as we grow in the Lord, we continue to build on the relationship. Secondly, prayer is conversation. Most of the time, we give God a soliloquy. We tell Him everything we want. We give Him a Christmas wish list, and we don't give Him time to speak back into us. You see, true prayer is a conversation. It's not just us talking all the time. It's also us being willing to listen. Prayer is also standing in the gap. Is there somebody that God's laid on your heart that you're praying for? Maybe they're lost and without Christ, or maybe they have a sickness and you're praying for them to be healed. Oh yes, we are called in prayer to stand in the gap. When is the last time you took open your Bible and you pled the promises? You see, prayer also is pleading the promises of God and you find you a passage of Scripture, you find you a nugget, you find you a verse, and you camp out, and you plead that promise before God. Prayer is that as well. I think this one is probably as as important as any of the others. Acknowledging dependence on a sovereign God. I think when I pray recognizing that what I'm praying for is not within the boundaries of my power, but it's all about His power, and God is sovereign. He knew it from the beginning, He knew it in the middle, and He knows it throughout all of eternity. Are you willing to trust Him? And then prayer is just good old-fashioned asking for something. See, some of us in this room are asking God for something right now. We're we're asking about a job or a job promotion. We're asking about a prodigal son or daughter to come home. We're, We're asking about a relationship that has gone sideways. We're asking God for something. But I want you to know that for us, in America today, prayer is also the beginning of every move of God. And we need a move of God in America today. We need to see His hand. We need to see His power come and overwhelm us, knowing that it's not within our power to really do anything, but we can trust God in prayer. Okay, pastor, I'm understanding what prayer is, but to whom do we pray, which is a great question. And to do it biblically, we pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus by and through the Holy Spirit. That is what the Word of God teaches that prayer is. To God, in the name of Jesus, by and through the Holy Spirit. You see, in the passage that we're reading today, in verses 14 through 21, we see what I would call a Trinitarian outline of prayer. Paul asked for the strength of the Spirit in verse 16, he asked for the indwelling of Jesus in verse 17. He asked for the fullness of God in verse 19. So we see God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Thinking back 2,000 years, do you think that Paul believed his prayers would be answered? Well, I do. In all of the epistles that he wrote, in the letters to the churches that he wrote, when Paul asked a prayer, I really believe that he asked it believing that God would answer it. Can we trust that our prayers will be answered in 2020? Well, absolutely we can. Well, Joel, you know, I've prayed recently and I didn't get what I wanted. Well, you've got to learn how to pray in the will of God and then we can be sure that God will answer. Well, how do I do that? I'm so glad you asked. Notice on the screen with me in 1 John chapter 5 where the Bible says that this is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now listen, I'm not a great scholar, but I looked up that word anything in Greek, and it means anything. What you got on your heart today? What is troubling you? What's going on in your head? What's going on in your heart? That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. One of our greatest problems today, especially in the American church, is that we don't like to wait. We don't have any patience. See, we may ask God for something today, and we expect God to be a microwave and hand it to us in 35 seconds. When sometimes God is throwing things into a crock pot and it's going to take a while for that answer to come. How do you know that, Joel? Because I'm guilty as charged. There have been moments that I prayed and I'm saying, okay, Lord, I have prayed, I'm waiting. Because, Lord, I know this is according to your will and, Lord, I'm ready. Come on, just drop out of the sky. Come on right now. See, not only am I to learn how to pray according to the will of God, I'm also being willing to trust the timing of God. Are you willing to trust his timing after you have prayed according to his will? Because this is such a great promise to those of us who are in Christ because there is no limit to what we can ask for if it is according to his will. Now, this is where we have to be very careful. When you start praying, warfare happens. Your hot water heater might blow up. Yeah. Your transmission may go wrong on your vehicle. Just understand and know the devil hates it when we get down on our knees and we start praying and we start believing and we start trusting God according to His will. Which leads us again to verse 14 and 15. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Hmm, what does that mean? It means that God is the Father of all of humanity. In a more restricted sense, He is the Father of all believers. But in a very unique sense, He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the Trinity, they are all equal. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16. The Bible says that according to the riches of His glory, thus our sermon title, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Hmm. Strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in our inner being. This is not just thinking positively. This is not about self-talk by looking in the mirror and telling yourself you're a champion. This is not even self-discipline of eating right and working out. No, this power is sacred, and it's given directly to us from the Holy Spirit. Give me some, Joel. How do I get this power? You feed and feast on God's Word, and then the power of God fills us by His Spirit. That's how it happens. I'm not talking about finding you a genie in a bottle somewhere and you rub it till it appears. See, that's where some of us mistakenly believe it comes from. I can work this thing up. I can conjure this thing up. If I can just keep enough of the law, then God will love me enough to give me a spirit. No, it doesn't work that way. The fundamental work of God from His Spirit to our spirit comes when we feed and feast on the Word of God. Now, I'm going to go from preaching to meddling for just a moment. The last six months, how are you and your Bible reading doing? Has the pandemic drawn you closer to God, or has it repelled you from Him? Have you allowed the things of the flesh and the things of the world to cause you to sort of drift away instead of moving forward into God? I've had so many conversations the last six months, some via Zoom meetings with other pastors. And and, and I'm going to be honest and as transparent as I can. We as pastors, there have been dark days When you start looking at numbers, when you start looking at where you are in certain categories compared to a year ago, listen, be very careful when you start comparing what's happening right now to anything in the past, because comparison will steal your joy. Why isn't our church doing like their church? Or or why isn't this happening because of that happening? If you start doing that, it'll steal all the joy that he wants to give you. I think all of us need to be reminded That this power is experienced in our inner being, the spiritual part of our nature. Now, there's the fleshly part of our nature. That sometimes talking to itself positively, doing self-talk, those kind of things, even having a self-discipline may work for a short period of time. But I'm talking about the inner being that delights in the law of God. Romans chapter 7, verse 22. You see, it is the inner being that is renewed day by day, even though the outward man is perishing. All of us are perishing on the outside. What does that mean, Joe? It means you're getting older. It means that as life happens to you, Father, time is undefeated. But even though I may be getting older on the outside, I can be renewed on the inside. I can get stronger than I was when I was 40 at 56 because I'm being renewed day by day. How do I do that? By feeding and feasting on the Word of God. That's how it happens. Because that is our only answer, especially in the day and time in which we live. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Hmm. The heart is the center of spiritual life, it controls every aspect of our behavior, both good and bad. So Paul uses botany and a building to help us to understand. You see, the root of a plant will provide us nourishment and support. So the Word of God is likened to a root. But it also provides a groundwork of a building that is the foundation. Remember Matthew 7 about building on the rock because the winds are going to come and the floodwaters are going to rise and the rain is going to beat down. But if your house is built on the rock, you'll be able to handle it. But those of us who built our house on the sand, the same rain's gonna come, the same flood gonna rise, the same, the same wind is gonna blow. And when that happens, your house is gonna fall. If all you've done is built on sand, shifting sand, sand that sort of moves underneath your feet. But boy, when you own on that solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what happens to you, no matter what happens around you, we must be rooted and grounded. And that's what Paul is trying to teach us. Look at verse 18 that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, with all of your brothers and sisters in Christ, what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And I know that I'm speaking to mature followers of Jesus as a whole here today, but there are some who cannot comprehend the truth of God because they're still a baby in Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as a spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. It means you just got saved and you hadn't grown any, or you got saved a long time ago and you just chose not to grow. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready. Why? You're still of the flesh. And that's the reason why some of us keep making boneheaded decisions. We keep making choices that are leading us down a broad path that's going to lead to your ultimate destruction. And let me tell you, there's a ripple effect. It not only happens for you, but it also affects the people that love you. And that's why we must be willing, Oh God, don't let me still be of the flesh. Like Peter, I ask you, 1 Peter chapter 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know what he's saying? Are you even saved or not? I know you walked an aisle when you were nine years old, but did you get saved or did you just fill out a card and get dunked in a pool? Or did you just go down to the river to the boat launch? See, some of us, all we did was get wet because we never were saved. Because when a man or a woman or a boy and girl is saved, they will desire pure spiritual milk so that they can grow up in their salvation. We call it sanctification. We call it being renewed day by day in our inner being. Look back at our text. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Talking about the whole person. There's not a part of you that has to suffer. There's not a part of you that that has to, to long for because Christ says, I will renew all of you, not only in your head, but also in your heart, but also your body as well. Look at verse 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want the fullness of God in my life. I want it in my wife's life. I want it in Zeke's life. I want it in Danny's life. I want it in yours as my church family. What are you talking about, Joel? Three questions to ponder. Do you really want breadth, length, height, and depth? Now see, some of us are just satisfied just to be saved and have a home in heaven one day. We don't want to grow. So we're going to stay on milk our whole life. We will never understand the deeper things of God, and we will continue to make bad choices and bad decisions. But for the man or woman of faith who says, no, I want it all. I want all of Him. Which leads us to the second question. Do you want to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? I do. I don't want just data in my head. I don't want to know just facts and figures. I want to know Him. And I know Him in that very unique way that comes through the power of His Spirit. Which leads us to that third question. Do you want to be filled with the fullness of of God. And I believe that I'm preaching to a a bunch of folks that really want it. Those of you that are online today, those of you that are here on campus, I really believe that all of us would say an emphatic yes. I want to be filled with the fullness of God. Well, if you really want it, you can't be dull in your hearing. What are you talking about, Joel? Look at Hebrews 5 on the screen with me the Bible says about this we have much to say that it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing some of us in this room including your pastor has a trouble with listening most of us listen to respond rather than listen to learn that means you're dull of hearing there are moments when the Holy Spirit just wants us to be quiet and to listen And then after we listen, we apply the truths that have been given to us. But see, for some of us in this room, there's always chatter. There's always white noise. We are dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The very basic things, you need milk, not solid food. Some of us, because of what's happened the last six months, it's almost as if we need to start over at the moment of salvation and start growing again. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This lets me know that if I am feeding and feasting on God's Word, I'm having my inner man renewed day by day, that I will be given powers of discernment trained by constant practice to do what? I can distinguish between good and evil. I can know what decisions to make in my life. I can make sure that I, I discern what is evil. I can discern temptation and I flee from it. But when I have a dullness of hearing, and friend, I'm telling you, some of us, the last six months, we've drifted. And we've started looking at things we shouldn't look at. We've started listening to things we shouldn't listen to. We've been hanging out with folks we shouldn't hang out with. Why? Because our our discernment has been dulled because we're no longer in the Word of God. You see, Sunday school kept you disciplined. They're going to ask, my Sunday school teacher is going to ask me if I've studied my lesson or not. And because of what has happened the last six months, we've sort of gotten away from that. And when you get away from feeding and feasting on God's Word, you'll find yourself quickly on a path that leads to destruction. I'm asking God right now in my own life, as we move forward as a staff, as we move forward as a church, Lord, help me distinguish good from evil and sometimes you have to take it a step further and distinguish God from good. Because just because something is good doesn't mean you're supposed to participate in it. The devil will bring a lot of good things to you to keep you from God. So what we have to be willing to do is have the power of discernment that happens in a daily practice. Again, go back. Have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. University of Alabama, Auburn University, University of Tennessee, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, all the others. Listen, the SEC, they're about to crank up next weekend, and they're going to play a ball game, and they're going to have an all-SEC schedule. But listen, they've been practicing for several months now. They're they're getting ready. But what if everybody said, you know what, we don't know if we're going to get to play or not, so we're just going to quit practicing, and then all of a sudden... The SEC makes a decision. The ACC makes a decision. The Pac-12 makes a decision. The Big Ten makes a decision. We're going to start playing next week and only have three days to practice. It wouldn't work. Some of us are trying to live a Christian life by doing exactly that. We're not practicing daily. We're not exercising discipline daily. We're not allowing the Holy Spirit to renew us day by day. So Paul finishes up chapter 3 with what we would call a doxology. The conclusion, if you will. Look at verse 20 and 21. Now to him he was able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. What does that mean? That means that whatever I ask, he can do more. And I have a pretty vivid imagination. I, I, I can ask for pretty big stuff. But just know that no matter what you can ask for that's huge, what God can give is bigger. Bigger. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. And I'm very, very grateful for that. What is it talking about? The power that works in us. It refers to the Holy Spirit, who is constantly at work in my life and in your life to produce the fruit of Christ-like character. You ever been around folks that... There's just an attractiveness about them because of Jesus. And you go, man, I could hang out with him. I could hang out with her. And on the flip side of the coin, there are folks that you hang out with them one time and go, I hope I never have to do that again. And you are a believer in Jesus. And you're supposed to have this, this same spirit, but sometimes we're not exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. We're exhibiting the works of the flesh. And those works of the flesh are repellent to those who are walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Then Paul concludes this way. To him be glory in the church. The church is the people. It's not a building. If that hurricane that came across Gulf Shores a few days ago had tracked north up I-65 and destroyed this building, the church still is alive. First Baptist is still here. The church meets in a building, so to him be glory in the people, the ecclesia, the ones who are called out, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. There's a psalm that I love to go to, especially when if I'm at the beach and I love sunrises and sunsets. When I go to the mountains, I love sunrises and sunsets. And at 104 Cashins Court, I love sunrises and sunsets. You can just see the majesty of God. Psalm 148 helps us to see wisdom and power on display. The sun, 93 million miles away. The moon, 238,000 miles away. The stars, light years away. Animals, birds, fish, fire, hail, snow, wind, mountains, trees, kings, people, old men, young men, Israel, and the nations— All of this was given to us in creation to praise the name of the Lord. Now here we are in 2020, and there had not been a whole lot to shout about so far. The duration of the praise of Psalm 148 is given to all generations forever and forever. We're trying to teach Zeke and Danny, as well as I know that you have done with your sons and daughters, that no matter what the score is on a scoreboard we can still have something to praise His name for. And I believe that's important, especially in the culture in which we live, in the day and time in which we live. So we hear Paul calling for eternal praise to God in the church. Now, I didn't do this at 8.30, so that means you're special today. I'm going to ask you right there where you are, if you want to stand, you can stand, or be seated uh, and remain seated. But I want us to praise His name by clapping our hands, by shouting, whatever you feel like you need to do just to sort of get it out of your system because mine's been pent up for about six months. So I'm just going to praise His name. Will anybody join me? Just glorify His name. Praise His name. He's worthy of it all. All of it goes to Him and Him alone. If the sun can praise Him, I'm going to praise Him. If the moon can praise Him, I'm going to praise him. If the stars can praise him, I'm going to praise him. He's worthy. He is worthy. Shout his name, church. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. the response of our hearts is always to be praise. No matter what we're walking through, no matter what we're going through, even right here and right now, let us learn how to praise.